the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome to the interview with Hugh Hewitt, sponsored by AndrewandTodd.com. Andrew and Todd are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. They help you with all your real estate lending needs. If you're refinancing your home, if you're buying a new home, if you're a senior who wants a reverse mortgage, if you're a veteran who doesn't want to put any money down, whatever it is, if you're in the private real estate market for yourself, and maybe you want an investment property, try AndrewandTodd.com or call 888 Now on to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America, and a good morning to Elaine Elfman Minnow in Sacramento. We know is listening now. You're about to get the full-on Ohio, though, Elaine. You're about to get the full-on Ohio. Captain Edward Bartlett is the founder of Bartlett Maritime Corporation. He is a seagoing captain. He's a merchant marine captain. He is a veteran of the United States Navy. He is one of the most respected submarine experts in the United States, and he joins me this morning. Good morning, Captain. How are you? Great. Good morning, Hugh. Great to have you with me. Jerry Hendricks introduced me to Captain because he knows I care about sea power. And the captain gave me a lesson that I will not forget long. If we depend upon submarines and we do, we are not taking care of business. What is the the problem, Captain, that you are trying to solve? Basically, the problem is we have we do not have enough shipyard repair capacity to maintain the ships that we have in service today. And how many how many submarines do we have and and how many of them do we need to repair regularly? We've got about 55 submarines in the Navy today, attack submarines. And these submarines have a lifetime of about 35 years each in that range. And over the course of that 35 year life, they need to spend about uh, twice, twice in that lifetime. They need to spend about two years in an overhaul period to be maintained and upgraded and then some shorter periods in the interim. So about twice during the life of a ship, it needs to go into overhaul. Now, now, Captain, a lot of people will find this uh, new, but they think we build a, a, a ship, any kind of ship, and then it can sail forever. But they're like good cars, right? Every, every fine vehicle needs an overhaul. And I believe you told me in my pre-brief, when we take a submarine into dry dock, we often find a lot of stuff we didn't expect to find. Absolutely. These are very complicated machines, and uh, a lot of the equipment is actually outside the hull, where you can't normally inspect it. You have to put the ship in dry dock, get it on the blocks, and inspect it once it's in dry dock in order to find all the problems. So, you you know. How long does dry dock take typically? Well, there there are basic two different kinds. There's a short one that's done interim, could be a a six-month period, and then the longer ones are about two years in length. Have we fallen behind taking care of our submarine fleet? The General Accountability Office of the federal government documented that from the period 2008 to 2018, we lost more than 10,000 operational days for our submarines because they were either parked waiting to go into maintenance or they were in delayed completion of maintenance. From the same agency from 2015 to 2019, found that three quarters of our submarine maintenance periods were completed late with the average 
late period during that time of 225 days. So close to a year late each time. So, Captain, um, again, I'm talking with Captain uh, uh, Edward Bartlett. If we do not fix them on time, we cannot possibly have the deterrent that we need to have at sea. Is that a correct assumption? That is absolutely correct. For the last more than a decade, we've had an average of about three and a half submarines on average parked, unable to get underway. So we need to build capacity to repair them because we're not the existing shipyards cannot speed up. Am I right about that? You're right. And it's not just me that's saying this. The uh, Congressional Budget Office published a report last year. The General Accountability Office has been very critical. And other agencies or organizations such as the Heritage Foundation have found that America does not have enough dry docks. Now, everyone who listens to Admiral Stavridis every week here knows that our three frontiers are space, cyber, and under the sea. And we have a lead, uh, and I, wanna, I don't want to be uh, uh, overly pessimistic. We have a lead under the water. How good is the lead, Captain? Because we got to maintain it. We can't rest on it. We can't sleep on it. But how good is it right now? Our submarines are among the most potent deterrence uh, capability that the United States has. No one can find them. It's universally accepted. And when they can't be found, you don't know if they're there. And when they're there, and they're always there, they pack a lethal punch. But they've got to be there, and they can only be there if they are repaid and repaired and maintained. Now, I called my friend Dave Zavagnor. I emailed him last night. Nothing big happens in Ohio, and Dave doesn't know about it. He's the guy that, reorganized, that organized the re, reenactment of the Battle of Lake Erie 200 years after. They got 13 ships of the line and 5,000. We, we, he meant to reenact the Battle of Lake Erie, and he threw Dunkirk instead. So Dave is listening. The solution to our dry dock problem is in Lake Erie and in Ohio. And this is a submarine dry dock problem, and uh, Captain Bartlett has figured it out, and the Pentagon kind of likes it, and it's not a threat to any existing shipbuilders. So would you explain the Lorraine-Lordstown project, Captain? Absolutely. The, in addition to not having enough facilities, the existing four naval shipyards plus the two build shipyards, uh, Newport News in Virginia and the Electric Boat Company Corporation in Groton, Connecticut, they're all having difficulty hiring people. Skilled trades personnel are at a premium along the ocean coast of the United States. Uh, because of the, of the actions to close steel mills, auto plants, and other industrial facilities, including shipyards, in the Great Lakes period uh, over the last decade plus, uh, what we have in this area is, in fact, uh, an abundance of underemployed or unemployed skilled trades-capable personnel. So we've got well-qualified people to do these jobs. It's difficult, technically demanding work. We've got the people, so what we want to do is build the shipyards where the people are because the people don't want to move. They love Ohio. So we intend to build a new shipyard in Lorraine, Ohio, two dry docks, and a new industrial depot in Lordstown, Ohio, uh, about a million square foot factory to repair the equipment from both submarines and aircraft carriers from all the naval shipyards that are doing overhaul work. Now, I want to tell the audience what caught my ear was Lordstown. I grew up next to Lordstown. Many of the parents of my high school and grade school friends worked at the uh, great GM plant there. But Lordstown is not producing much right now. they got an electric uh, truck company there that's kind of off on, off on. But they've got a vocational school which ranks among the best in the United States, which GM built, you know, 
35, 40 years ago, they could turn out the craftsmen. Is this a threat to existing shipyards? Is it existing? Will it draw their workforce away? Is there any reason for them to be upset about the idea of a Lorraine dry dock? Absolutely no, not. The, uh, the fact of the matter is, if you look at it on a pie chart, there's a missing piece of the pie, and we're trying to fill that missing piece in. We're not trying to steal anybody else's piece of the pie. We're trying to meet the unmet demand. So we have the people in this region. We're going to train them. We've already developed a workforce development plan. We're working in partnership, actually, with AFL-CIO to develop those work, that workforce, and we're not looking to take anybody from any other shipyard. And we're not looking to take any of their work. So we're, we're looking to, su- to support the industrial base, not threaten the industrial base. Has uh, Rob Portman, senator from Ohio, weighed in on this yet? Absolutely. He was um, a member of the Ohio delegation, which recently sent a letter to the Secretary of the Navy uh, questioning uh, a number of factors associated with submarine maintenance and pointing out that Ohio has the skilled trades personnel that are capable of doing this. Now, you mentioned AFL-CIO is on board. Is Senator Sherrod Brown on board? Yes, he was. The, the, the delegation letter came from Senator Portman, Senator Brown, uh, Congresswoman Captor, Congress, Congressman Tim Ryan, and Congresswoman Chantel Brown. Those I, I want, uh, three. Yeah, I want people to know Tim Ryan is running for Senate. He's a friend of mine. And if there is any any doubt in your mind about how good this proposal is, if Tim Ryan is endorsing it and he's running for Senate, all five of the remaining Ohio Senate candidates from the Republican side should be endorsing this. When did that letter go, Captain? It went last week. And any response yet? We know that the uh, the Pentagon is looking into the we submitted our last version of a formal proposal January 21st. Uh, we're ready for contracting. And uh, we know that the uh, secretary of the Navy's office is actively reviewing the proposal as well as DOD. And we also know that the White House is involved in and reviewing it as well. Now, obviously, and, uh, the audience is hearing is terrible. The audience is going to say exactly what I had to ask. Submarines in the Great Lakes, really? And then you educated me. Was it 12% of the submarines the Americans used in World War II were built in the Great Lakes? Yes, indeed. The, uh, the former Manitowoc shipbuilding, uh, shipyard in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, built uh, 28 submarines of the 226 that uh, were built during World War II. And they were among the most capable ships in the uh, fleet. Now, we do so, not want to build anything more in Wisconsin. We just don't want to do that. I'm we just sorry. want to build them in Ohio, Captain. But that, that was a nice shout-out to Wisconsin. Can, can Lorraine absorb two dry docks? Absolutely. There's plenty. In fact, we have a number of different sites. We haven't selected a final site, and a number, the landowners are looking to uh, put their land to use to do this. But there are a variety of sites to choose from. We'll make that selection with the Navy once we get started and with the, with the landowners. What is the timeline from go to getting a submarine repair underway in Lorraine using workers trained in Lordstown? We're looking at uh, a six-month planning period, uh, which uh, we hope to start later this month. Uh, If that uh, six-month planning period is completed um, or is contracted during February, then we'll have the final proposal for a 30-year public-private partnership which we're working with our partner Goldman Sachs uh, to develop. The, we'll have a ceremonial groundbreaking in October, and three to four years after that, depending upon uh, final plans and environmental permitting, which we just had a big meeting with that yesterday, 
we don't really foresee any real problems, uh, we should have our first ship up here. So like 2026 time frame. How many people would this employ? With direct employment, we're forecasting in Lorraine is about 3,000. Direct employment in Lordstown, about 1,000. But we're going to build both facilities with room for growth because the strategic forecast of the submarine force is to grow between 15 and 24%. So the maintenance capacity has to be able to grow as well. So we're going to build in that future growth potential in our facilities. Last question before the break. How do you get the submarines from the Atlantic into Lorraine? The St. Lawrence Seaway was built during the 50s, and it provides an easy way to do this. Unfortunately, the depth of the seaway is not adequate for a modern submarine, so we're going to use a device that uh, we've got a patent pending on called an ocean-going transit carrier. It's a modification of an existing vessel type called an articulated tug barge, provide a modest lift to the submarines to take them through the St. Lawrence Seaway. It's not really a problem, is it? Not a problem at all. Very conventional, proven. It's just routine kind of way of doing business. And so I'm, I'm here to tell you people, uh, and we're going to come back and talk with Captain Bartlett after the break about the need again. The need, the need, the need. We need our submarines at sea. We cannot have them backed up waiting for maintenance. They have to get maintenance. This is the future defense of the United States, and it all depends upon Ohio and Lorraine and on the... Uh, Bartlett Maritime Corporation getting moving. So when we come back, Dave Zavagno, keep listening. Come right back. Captain Bartlett continues with me. This is important, and I need the members of Congress and the Ohio Senate candidates to listen very carefully. you got to get behind this right now, and the rest of the country needs to applaud, too. Stand by. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. I hope you've been listening to the last segment with Captain Edward Bartlett, the founder of Bartlett Maritime Corporation, because the success of his plan will in great degree drive the readiness of our submarine fleet, which is so crucial for the next 50 years. Captain, uh, can you go back and explain to me the problems with the Boise and the Helena? I'm sorry? Uh, Talk to me about the Helena and the Boise, those submarines. Absolutely. The the USS Helena, uh, which actually, when I left active duty in the Navy and went to work at Electric Boat, was the first ship I actually worked on during its construction, took two and a half years to build from keeling to delivery. It went into the shipyard for what was planned to be a six-month availability, just an interim check to make sure everything was good out in the ballast tanks and correct any minor problems that might be found. It took five years to complete that planned six-month maintenance. It just came out last October. The USS Boise, another uh, submarine, uh, was active, was due for overhaul in 2013. No shipyard was available to do the overhaul. And then in 2016, its certification to dive expired. Ever since USS Thresher went down in 1963, we've been very rigorous about not allowing submarines to operate that don't meet their submarine safety requirements, which includes timing on the dive certification. So the the Boise sat at the pier waiting to go into the shipyard. The spot it was supposed to take was the one that was being occupied by the Helena. So as the Helena was in interminable delay in getting its six-month overhaul done for five years, the Boise sat for four years waiting to go into overhaul, completely uh, inoperable. Now, this is... As a result... Go ahead. As a result, final point, the Boise is going to end up, a 35-year submarine is going to end up spending more than 10 years out of the rotation after it completes its overhaul that it now is in. 
This is not acceptable if you concern yourself with the national security of the United States. So the question becomes, how do we fix it? It means more shipyard capacity. I love the Lorraine Lordstown project that Barrett, Bartlett Maritime Corporation has come up with because of the financing. Will you explain the financing to the audience, Captain? Absolutely. One of the, the, the two criteria that we set for this was that if we came up with a plan, it had to be actionable immediately and not require legislation. And it had to be affordable within the Navy's constrained budget, which is constrained these days and challenged because we're building the Columbia class submarine. So we elected to use a public private partnership. State of Ohio has an industrial revenue bond program, which allows a company to uh, go to the capital markets and raise capital to build facilities and then pay back the bonds over a 30 year period from the revenue generated by the facilities, which also create economic development and, and new jobs. So that can create the money. On the other side of the program, the uh, federal government, as a result of the BRAC legislation passed in 1989, has the authority to lease purchase a, a, a property, a facility, for up to 32 years. So that ends up being 30 years by default. So we've engaged with uh, Goldman Sachs to help us craft this public-private partnership. And the, the benefit of this is that the Navy can do this immediately. No legislation is required and at either the state or the federal level. And the financing is such that they can afford to do it within their currently constrained budget. In fact, if the Navy desires, they don't need to make any payments on the capital for several years until the facilities are in service. Now, let me underscore something. He's not making this up. Uh, my friend Dick Hauser, who's on a golf tee somewhere in Florida right now, chaired the Pennsylvania Avenue Redevelopment Corporation. And maybe you need a, a, a negative two, a plus two handicap on your team, Captain. That would be Hauser. Yes, he's a plus two golfer. But he did get the Pennsylvania Avenue redeveloped because of the Pennsylvania Avenue Redevelopment Corporation. And buildings built 30 years ago under this program are now being given back to GSA and leased by GSA. And they're going to make money for the government forever. That's why it works. The second name, Dave Zavagno, the Cleveland guy, you need all of Ohio to be behind you on this. How does it feel? Do they buy in? I will tell you that there's been, a, a, and since this has gone public about two weeks ago, there's been a sense of emotional relief in the area uh, that people that felt like they'd been left behind now feel a sense of hope. There's been a great outpouring of support locally, a lot of local press coverage, and we've got uh, we've got a, a whole host of people already ready to go to workforce, even as we're just still in the planning stages. Now, does anybody object to, to building this in Ohio? I mean, normally there are competitions for government. We don't have any proposals for new shipyard. This is not like you're competing against eight other people who have new shipyards ready to go. I think we have the only plan that's immediately actionable and can be afforded within the Navy's current budget constraints. Those are the key factors that we set out to achieve. So we don't, we don't think there's any other alternatives. The Navy's evaluating it. Uh, there's always a discussion in a large bureaucracy like this, but there have been no negatives pointed out to us with regard to the feasibility of doing this. This is clearly feasible. It's clearly within the regulations and the law that exists today. And it's just a question of do you want to do it? Welcome back to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Captain Edwin Bartlett is my is my guest. Edward Bartlett is my guest. Captain Bartlett is behind Bartlett Maritime. And if you've just been listening to the first two segments on the on the radio, you know he has put himself to work to solve a strategic problem. Now, Captain, I assume you've got pensions out the years and you don't need to be doing this. Why are you doing this? 
no one asked me to do this. Uh, during the 1990s, I was involved in, uh, at the end of the Cold War, we had the USS Seawolf program, <coughs> excuse me, and the uh, the Navy, or there were there people didn't want to build a submarine that had Cold War capability since the Cold War ended. So I was involved in what is coming after the Seawolf program. It turned out to be the USS Virginia class, which is still being built. I was involved in that whole process in developing the new submarine. So I felt like I was engaged in saving the submarine force at a at a hinge point back in the 1990s, along with many other folks. I, it wasn't me. It was a lot of people. But we come again to another hinge point where we can't maintain the ships we have. No one asked me to do this. But when I found out about this in November of 2018, it just made me mad. And I said, if no one else is going to fix it, somebody's got to do it. And if no one else is going to do it, it has to be me. Now, Captain, people listen to you in the Pentagon. They do. Why? Well, everything we're telling everyone is based upon facts. It's based upon third-party analysis. It's based upon the cold, hard reality that this has to be taken care of. Does Do the existing shipyards worry that you will displace them with a shipyard in Lorain, Ohio? I'm sure that there are some individuals at the various locations that may uh, not really understand what's going on that may be concerned. But writ large, the two large shipbuilders and the naval shipyards, uh, I think, clearly understand what we're out to do, which is protect the entire industrial base. Now, Buckeyes like to stay in Buckeye land, but you can't train them how to build submarines in Buckeye land. What are you planning for these Lordstown vocational graduates and the uh, the out of work craftsmen? How do you plan to get them into the submarine business? Our planning, pro- our training program, workforce development program involves, uh, depending upon their current skill level, about 16 weeks of schoolhouse training in Ohio. And we're going to start that actually as soon as we get under contract for the planning program as a demonstration. And then following that, we intend to send the people to one of the four existing naval shipyards, probably not to the one in Hawaii, so probably either to New Hampshire, Virginia, or or Bremerton, Washington, to work on ships that are in overhaul today. This will be a temporary duty assignment and the way I characterize it, it's like sending your, your sending going away to college, and you're going to come back and have a secure career. That now you know if you graduate owner. from one of the service academies, you owe four to six years back. If one of your youngsters or one of your uh, retrainees go off to Groton or they go off to Virginia Beach or Norfolk, and they learn their skill trade, do they have to come back for at least a period of time certain? We're going to work within the various constraints in the HR world to provide incentives to make sure people come back. That is, that is to me, the key. Ohioans want to come home. You know, I never get to go home unless the Browns are playing, but uh, they want to come home. You came home, right? Yes, yes, indeed. So what is the reaction among the trades? Because the trades run Northeastern Ohio, and they still do. They've, they've been, there's been an outpouring of support all of the local unions have contacted me directly. The FLCO has been exceptionally supportive and uh, individual members. In fact, I had a, a retired Boilermaker that lives in Kansas City call, called me up on a Saturday morning after this went public and just said thank you. On behalf of all the people in the unions, 
thank you. You're bringing back industrial work to the industrial Midwest. Now, now, Captain, we have some Steelers fans listening, and they're going to think that Boilermakers refer to Purdue graduates. Actually, I hope you're a Purdue-free facility. Is that possible? That's possible. Although one of my vice presidents is actually a Purdue graduate, I've got to admit. Well, you know, there are a lot of people listening who are, and so I just like to gig them a little bit. They'll get football there one of these decades. Captain, let's close where we began. The only reason I'm doing this is because I am an armchair navalist, meaning I would sink the moment I got on a boat. And the last time I stepped onto a boat, I did a 360 into my brother-in-law's boat and emerged with you know an almost broken wrist. I am... I make Matron look like uh, Jack Aubrey when it comes to boats. But I do know the numbers, and I know we have to have a submarine force that is deadly and silent, and it's not just the Virginia class. It's the new Columbia class as well, and you got to repair them. So how grave is the danger that we are outmatched simply because we did not attend to business? A submarine that's tied up to the pier in the United States is not capable it costs multiple billions of dollars to build these ships, and it's just sitting at the pier. It's not capable. And our potential adver- our adversaries know this. They know this probably better than the average American. And the fact that we're doing this, I think, is going to send a chill down their spine because this needs to be done. We need our ships available. It's- My friend Admiral John Greenert said, it doesn't matter how many ships you have. It's how many ships you have that are combat ready. And these silent killers, I, I want people to understand that the adversaries that we face know that we're better than them in cyber. They know that we're better than them in space. And they know for certain that we're better than them under the sea. But only if our ships are there. Right, Captain? Absolutely. You've got it exactly right. Well, I, I want to wish you the best of luck in this. And if Zavagno calls you up, uh, take his call. Or if Hauser calls him up, but. I assume you've got a good board of directors. I assume you've got Goldman Sachs. I I assume you've got every ingredient except the magic ingredient, which is a bureaucracy that is moving quickly. Do you think that's going to follow? I think so. I think so. There are signs that we're going to get started. We get started this month. This thing's going to get done in time. And uh, every day we wait is a day that a ship's not at sea, and that's important to us. Uh, That's important to me. Captain, are you a Browns fan? (laughs) <laughs> I live in the Cleveland area. I have to be a Browns fan. All right. Well, then you are like me. Go. Are you a Baker or an anti-Baker? I'm a Baker guy. I just want to know if you're invited back right now, so you've got to answer the question correctly. <laughs> Baker Mayfield is the quarterback of the Browns. There you go. That's that. It gets to come back. Will you come back and post us up on this project in a couple of months? Absolutely. Whenever you need. Captain Edward Bartlett of the Bartlett Maritime Corporation. Godspeed. Get our ships to sea and America protected. I appreciate the time, Captain. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. How does anyone contact you, by the way? Uh, They can contact us through our website at uh, BartlettMaritime.com. Thank you, BartlettMaritime.com. Be well, Captain. I'll be back, America, on tomorrow's The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did, and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.